This is episode 397 of the 200 Churches podcast. I remember it because it's like burned into my brain. Pretty quickly, the construction prices started going through the roof. Oh, you right. We're having supply right. chain issues. And so lumber, the cost of lumber went up. The cost of steel went up. I remember sitting with our building chair and our general contractor and our architect socially distanced in our sanctuary. Right. Yeah. And the uh, general contractor said, you know, that $3.5 million of work we said we were going to do, it's now going to cost $4.3 million. And Probably that, and rising. And rising. And this was yeah. like June, which was the wow. first moment when I thought, okay, Houston, we have a we have a problem that we're going to have to figure out what to do with. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Cady. I'm so glad that you have joined us today. We have been providing ministry encouragement to pastors of small churches for a long time. And it's so interesting. Tonight is the first week of September 2022. Exactly five years ago, we had an episode Johnny did with his then-senior pastor, Suzanne Vogel, which is still his senior pastor. And he and Suzanne interviewed Todd Bolsinger, the author of the book called Canoeing the Mountains, Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory. And they talked to Todd, who was the vice president uh, at Fuller Seminary. They talked to him about the message of his book. And, you know, this metaphor in the book was Lewis and Clark as they were traveling, as they were canoeing westward, all of a sudden, they hit the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> the, the canoe wasn't the best method of transportation at that point. And the book is all about leading in uncharted territory. And just a couple years after that, the two and a half years or so after that, what happened? What happened? The pandemic. Tonight, we have an episode for you. I say tonight because this is going out at night. We've got an episode with Suzanne Vogel, the one who, with Johnny, talked to Todd five years ago. And then Suzanne went into, in her multi-site church, she went into a capital campaign because they had some renovations to do to the mother church. Uh, Johnny was the campus pastor at the time of the, the church plant uh, called The Bridge. And, I mean, it was a beautiful, big, beautiful building, nine years old, when he, I think when he got there. So it's not like it was this little struggling situation at all. And, in fact, the mothership was in need of some renovation. So they had a capital campaign going, and they were just ready to get some bids and to uh, start this thing. And all of a sudden, the pandemic hit. And they had over a million dollars contributed so far, millions more pledged. What do you do? What do you do? And then, because of supply chain issues, then all of the building materials skyrocketed. What do you do? In this conversation that I have with Pastor Suzanne Vogel from The Bridge in Des Moines, Iowa, she talks me through what she experienced what she and her leadership did, and how they navigated over these past two and a half years. It is a fascinating conversation. Now, I had the conversation. I recorded it with her, and yet when I went back through it to edit it, I felt like a listener learning from this woman's uh, leadership wisdom. But I want you to hear 
what is really a masterclass in leadership with Pastor Suzanne Vogel. Suzanne Vogel, welcome to the Coaching for Pastors podcast. It is really good to have you on. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. I think we do. I love that I get to be here with you today. We've shared common staff, so I feel like that makes us, you know, siblings in ministry. Yes, and we have spoken for over 50 minutes now about other stuff, and so we're making this hard turn now at the beginning of this podcast because, Suzanne, well, introduce yourself and talk about your family and where you're doing ministry in your ministry context. Sure. So my name is Suzanne Vogel. I am the wife of Dennis. Uh, We've been married over a little over 30 years, which means that we're starting to figure a few things out. There's still a lot. We're still learning. Uh, We have a son and a daughter who are young adults, 25 and 23. So we're empty nesters and deeply enjoying that (laughs) we're we're one of those couples who realize like, Oh, we still like each other. This is fun. (laughs) Uh, So that's good. And then uh, I serve as the lead pastor for a church called, uh, well now today it's called the bridge in Des Moines, Iowa. The reason I say now is that we used to be called Meredith drive reformed church. So we've shifted our name recently. Yeah. So I'm still getting used to it. So if you hear me, if you hear me stutter over it, it's because I'm still getting used to calling it just the bridge. Yeah, we will get into that. But you've been there at the church for what, six, seven years now? Eight. Eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you were kind of in a groove and moving in a direction. Mm-hmm. In uh, the end of 2019, as the new year turned in 2020, describe what you were doing at the last half of 2019 as the lead pastor and the direction that the church was going, and also describe the setup of the church at that time. When I came, uh, the church was a would be considered multi-site. So we had an original campus, and then we had a campus that had been built about 15 years ago in the Northwest suburb of Des Moines. That was um, about, oh, I don't know. It's like a 10 or 12 minute drive away. When I came, so we had both campuses. And then three years ago, we had a flood in our original campus. And that precipitated really some significant conversations about were we going to renovate that original campus? And so we worked hard through most of 2019 to get plans together. We needed to renovate really the whole building. It was a major project because it hadn't been touched. We had a lot of delayed maintenance that had you know, been kicked down the curb for close to 25 years. Hmm. We had, if we were going in, we were going all in. And yeah. so we, we put together a $5.3 million renovation plan. Ooh. And then we did a capital campaign in the fall of 20, uh, 2019. What a horrible season to begin a capital campaign. I am so no, this sorry. Is, this was before 2020, yeah. right? No, no yeah. right, right. Yeah, so we're like, maybe we have this great campaign. We raised $3.5 million. So we had enough to really substantially start the project. And, uh, you know, so we got momentum. We're going. Uh 
in fact, the plan was to start construction in June of 2020. So Hmm. we had general contractor, you know, we had our general contractor and they're starting to get bids. And then, yeah, yeah. And then March of 2020 comes crashing into all of our lives. Yep. Specifically, it crashed into our reality at Meredith Drive Reformed Church. So you had $3.5 million raised at that point? We had $3.5 million pledged. We had close to a million dollars given. Okay. Already. Um, at that point, no, we had actually, we had $1.3 million that had already been given. And we were, when the pandemic first hit, we were about a month from signing bids and like starting the work. Okay. I still remember, I still remember <laughs> uh, our first board meeting. Uh, you know, after the hard pivot and we're all, you know, at our homes and, uh, and, you know, we're, we're, we're not in church. Everybody's, you know, we're trying to figure out how to do Easter. You'll probably remember this. We're trying to figure out how to do Easter digitally. Was your first board meeting on Zoom? It, our first board meeting was on Zoom and we all looked at each other and said, what do we do now? And you as the lead pastor. I'm sure came into the meeting, everything was handled. You knew how to lead that oh, team through the wilderness. Of course, because you, you know, no, I was. <laughs> it's what I you mean, do. <laughs> right. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, uh, in, I think this was the Holy Spirit because I'm not smart enough to do this. Um, there was an article that kind of got dropped into my lap those first two or three weeks you maybe read it. A bunch of pastors ended up reading it. Um, Ice Age or Blizzard. It was about, is hmm. this pandemic going to be uh, yeah. a really short-term thing? Is it going to be a, a six-month season? And the author of that article, Andy Crouch, said this could be a three to five-year event. Oh, wow. And I remember reading that and thinking, what if that is true? And so I remember walking into that first board meeting and and one of our board all together, we just said, you know what, when the fog is thick, you got to slow down. Oh, that's good. Yep. So we decided that first night we got to tap the brakes and at least get a lay of the land mm-hmm. before we keep barreling forward. So that was the beginning I I feel like my role in this conversation is simply going to be, and then what happened? And then what happened? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> because I'm thinking about that. Did any of the people that contributed that 1.3 in the ensuing months, did any of them say, we want our money back? Oh, oh, uh, not, not until we knew for sure what was going to happen. But yeah. Yeah, uh, they did it. They did it at some point. So you had to kind of hold on to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we we and we had to sort of play this like so. Initially, when we pushed pause, we just told everybody we're just pushing pause. So if you want to keep giving, like because people had pledged money, right? Yeah. So right. there are some people who are still giving, but we also said really clearly, listen, if you want to push pause on your giving, you do that. 
If you've lost your job because of the pandemic, if you've been furloughed, please stop giving. But we're all going to hold still until we have a clear sense of how to proceed. I mean, and you may remember, um, I remember it because it's like burned into my brain. Um, Pretty quickly, uh, the construction prices started going through the roof. Oh, right. We're having supply chain issues. And so lumber, the cost of lumber went up, the cost of steel went up. I remember sitting with our building chair and our general contractor and our architect in uh, socially distanced in our sanctuary. Right. Yeah. And the uh, general contractor said, you know, that $3.5 million of work we said we were going to do. It's now going to cost four point three million, and probably that, and rising, and rising, and this was yeah. like June, which was the wow. first moment when I thought, okay, Houston, we have a we have a problem, yeah, uh, that we're going to have to figure out what to do with. The great part is our board, so we just kept kind of talking about, all right, what do we do, and and so I think that was. It was in that time frame. I went for a walk. God and I were having a chat slash argument about what was going to happen next. Because uh, I was like, I just leveraged all my credibility to like raise this money. I called our whole church to this vision. And I just felt like the spirit said, uh, I want you to put it back on the altar. And oh. I was like... I don't really want to do that, God. <laughs> and I just felt like I said, just just put it on the altar. Let's start discerning together. And we started, we, we had concentric conversations, right? So I, we started with a really small group of people, our, our most senior staff and our board. And we started asking, uh, should we proceed or actually should we consider now unifying our two campuses. And so we we talk about it and then we realized, okay, there's enough questions here. And so then we pull in another group of people and start talking about it. And so um, by Christmas of 2020, right, going into 2021, we came to the whole congregation and said, we think we really need to think seriously about what helps us best accomplish our mission and vision given the ways that our culture and our environment has changed around us. And so we spent the next three months kind of trying to assess that. And And those are painful conversations, aren't they? They are because, you know, for, for a lot of our folks, that original campus was their home spiritually. I mean, they right, worshiped there right. for 70 some years even, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they had been excited to imagine what could be. I mean, they'd seen the pictures and they, you know, had really they bought into the vision, they bought into the vision. You were yeah. remodeling their home for them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're thrilled. And then, you know, so it, it, it raised grief. It raised um, questions. Did we make a mistake? Yeah. 
you know, when we decided to renovate, maybe, maybe we missed God, what God was doing back then. Well, I mean, it's me, just all kind of, of those things. That's kind of an easy answer though, to me that, you know, the pandemic changes everything. You know, you can't really say it was a mistake. It's no, no, God allowed this, you know, God, mm-hmm. it's okay to, to have big dreams if you never have big dreams, but they're, yeah. they're not always going to pan out. But to be clear though, when you talked about unifying, you're, mm-hmm. you're not pulling back to the original campus. You're unifying no. to the newer campus. To the newer campus. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's really scary for some of our folks who had always chosen to stay at that original campus. Yeah. It was one of the things that was helpful for me through that process. And one of the things I talked about a lot with folks, um, I grew up, my grandfather was a farmer. And so I remember, you know, he'd plant a field and I remember summers, uh, a couple summers where, you know, corn is high and you can see the ears and then a hailstorm comes through. Yeah. Right. And, and does that mean he should have never planted? No. Right. Right. It means a storm came. And so you grieve the loss and then you get ready to plant again. And that was part of what we started to talk about was maybe God was inviting us to plant new fields. Um, but is a leader. That's, good. that's really it good. Will, it was, it was helpful, but as a leader, yeah. that's hard. Um, Cause I had to swallow my own pride in some ways and my dreams and my hopes for that campus and be willing to stand up and say, yeah, I know we were, we thought we were going this way. And now I'm telling you, I think we need to go this way, which is hard because I wanted to go that way too. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I had to grieve like, Oh, I wanted, <laughs> I had visions. I didn't get up and lead us into that uh, campaign falsely. I actually deeply, I mean, we personally made strong commitments financially and emotionally to renovating. And so I had to do my own grief work around letting go of the picture and letting go of the campus. What were the major challenges for you as a leader? And maybe you've already alluded to them, but um, as you realized that this thing, instead of expanding, it was actually going to focus. Let's use a positive word, focus. (laughs) I was going to say contract, but. Well, no, I, I mean, and it's interesting. Language is important. Yeah. So we, you know, for example, one of the challenges for me as a leader was like, initially we talked about consolidating and then I realized, oh, we need to talk about unifying. Hmm. That's different, right? That's, that's a different uh, aspect. We have to go from expanding to focusing. Um, And so Uh, So one of the challenges for me was actually letting God reshape my pictures and my hopes um, so that I could invite us into that authentically. I think another challenge was to 
give people space to grieve and ask questions and be mad even for a mm -hmm. while. Yeah. Um, you know, I had, I started thinking about this at least eight months before most anybody else, because I, that's my job, right? I mean, as the lead pastor, my job is to be thinking forward and praying forward. And so, um, you know, there were times when we first started talking about it and people would have all these questions and I'd have to work on not getting frustrated because what I realize is, oh, I've been thinking about this. I've processed it. They yeah. haven't. And yeah, so I need you, to give them yeah. time to come into the conversation that I'm already. That's hard to do. On. That's mm -hmm. hard to do. Isn't it? cutting people yep. off mid sentence and, oh yeah, yep. Yeah, I already thought about that. Yep. Yeah, no, move on. We're past that. That is really mm -hmm. hard to do. Yeah. And if you're not careful, your ego can get caught in it. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you, so you can, you can be like, well, do you think I'm dumb that I didn't think of those things? <laughs> or, you know, and the truth is they're just processing and yeah. they're reckoning with their own grief and their own frustration. And I mean, that was another, I think, challenge for me in the midst of it was to stand and let people have their emotion and not take it personally and not get and even let them be angry with me some now not inappropriately necessarily but but be willing to say i understand this is painful yeah and even to say cuz i i can be a people pleaser and to recognize oh uh we're going to lose people in this conversation because uh, they're not going to be able to imagine themselves at the other campus or something as simple as they maybe aren't going to want to drive that far because they're older. Yeah. And 10 minutes further is, that's a big deal to older yep. people. For, for some folks. Yeah. So um, that was one of the challenges. I think another challenge was to figure out, how do we actually unify and not let one, the ethos of one of our campuses subsume the other? So we talked, yeah. we, we started talking about, you know, so our original campus planted the bridge campus. And so we started talking about it as two households merging. And, and it's tricky because it's like, aging parents moving in with their adult children. And Ooh, so that's how, tough. That's a tough one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so we would talk with, you know, our leaders from the bridge and say, how are we going to welcome and create space for these folks who've lost their home? Um, and then we try to talk with the leaders at the original campus to say, how do you come into your adult children's home and not take over? And not demand that everything, you know, because I brought you into this world um, and have that did, kind of. Did posture. you use that, that terminology with them? We did. See, now, now I'm getting 
and I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but no, go ahead. If in case anybody hasn't noticed, she's a lead pastor and she's a woman. Um, I wonder if women have maybe a little better sense about making those kinds of comparisons. I don't know if it's a male female thing or if it's just a personality yeah. thing. But yeah. that's but you've made some very very helpful uh, analogies that are probably was very helpful for the church to hear those things. I, it felt like as we kept going through it, if I could, if we could give language mm-hmm. that that would help and and build metaphors that would help people have framework for the dynamics that we were we were experiencing and getting ready to experience. I mean, we so even we use the analogy of because um, we had to be a little careful with the adult children and the older parents. But um, at one point we were trying to figure out, uh, so this will make some of your people smile. Um, so our original campus had a far more traditional uh, sanctuary. Um, so it had pews, the acoustics were beautiful. It had an organ, it had stained glass. The newer campus is a much more modern space. It has a raised stage and lights and all these things. And and as we were talking about what it was going to mean to unify, I realized we realized, oh, we have to bring some of the symbols from the original campus Hmm. over. Yeah. Um, Even though they don't really fit. Right. You had to figure out right. how they fit or, or, or can we make the, you know, how do we think thoughtfully about that? Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, yeah. So we moved in Oregon, you know, and there were folks who were like, why are we spending 10 grand to move in Oregon? And I was like, because that is going to help the folks who are losing their space feel honored and seen in this process. Um, and so we moved an organ, which that's, be- that's beautiful, Suzanne, but, but the organ I know. couldn't find something else that make them feel honored and seen. <laughs> I'm not bringing the pews. I'm not, I can't bring the stained yeah. glass window. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. And so, and here's the beautiful part is that, you know, some days I'm like, oh man, but it's actually invited creativity in a way that uh, has cool. been kind of fun some days. So, um, and the organ, we, we put it on a plat. So again, so we tried to think through, okay, how do we bring it and, and actually unify? Don't just slap an organ up. And so we like, for example, we put it on a pedestal that can slide behind the stage or bring or come out. Well, that's more work, but it's unifying, not just dumping everything together yeah, and trying to be somewhat strategic about that. Um, so did you ever talk to your folks about what the church is, how they're losing their building, but they're not losing their church? How did you deal with that? Yeah, that was one of the, that was one of the things we, we, we did. We talked about was like, okay, what, what is the church? And, uh, and so we, you know, we said, here's the thing, we are the church. And yet we wanted to also honor, you know, in the Old Testament, God creates a temple. He creates a space, a physical space. 
And so, you know, I think we tried to say the church is not a building. We recognize this has been a sacred space where you have met God, but you are not limited to this space. And God is not limited to this space. I think that helped folks in the transition theologically to have some handholds. But it is interesting. It felt like we needed to acknowledge that building isn't everything, but that they had had significant encounters with God in the building. And, yeah. and that, yeah, that's um, important. so we, so we held the boat, we tried to hold the both hand because for some of our older folks, if we just said, well, the, the church isn't a building, they felt demeaned by that because they loved the building. So it was an interesting dance to walk, to try and um, you could have honor just their told experience. Them, just told them that, you know, God's not here anymore. He left and he yeah. went to the bridge. So <laughs> we've got to follow him. That's right. He's over there. I don't know what's no. wrong with you people. <laughs> but I think that's, that's really good what you said, though, that that if you just try to teach them a, a very biblical truth that the building is not the church you are and just left it at that, it, it would be demeaning to them and, and somewhat demoralizing because this is where they have met with God. This is where they have gathered for corporate worship. And it should be it should be a, a special place it's for a, them. It's so trying to honor that reality yeah. without shaming them for their sense of grief and nostalgia, um, which is so often it's easy to do in leadership to try and like, just, well, you oughta, um, instead of, I think I learned a lot about trying to hear where people are and then invite them graciously into a new reality, um, rather than say, get on board or get out. (laughs) Which is, yeah. there were times I really wanted to say that, trust me. Um, right, right. And probably so, times I did. This isn't lost on me that on uh, the other podcast that I've done, the 200 Churches, you were actually a guest on there in episode 242. The title of the episode was Leading in Uncharted Territory with Todd Bolsinger, who wrote the book Canoeing the Mountains. The Mountains. Did you feel like you were canoeing the mountains through? through all of this. Absolutely. Right? It's actually one of my favorite books and we've talked about it. Serves regularly. you right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I would say over and over again to myself, to my team, to our leaders, we got to stay calm. We got to stay connected and we got to stay the course. Um, because that's one of his, you know, phrases that he talks yeah. about a lot. And, um, you know, because I was just really convinced, like at the end of the day, this will be, so much better for us. Um, you have to believe that. You have to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, what, what, what other alternative is there? Yep. And we, and so once, once I made the head shift, once God moved my heart and was like, okay, if we can do this, we're going to be in a place where we can, if we could sell the original campus, we could be debt free. We could have money in the bank. We could actually build new momentum. Um, and have resources for kingdom. Okay, let's do it. Um, and I think, and that's why we were able to get there is because people could st- start to see, oh, 
this could be really good uh, if we could let go and move forward. And, uh, and we were fortunate, but all of that takes work, right? So you have to figure out how do you, what do you do with a capital campaign that you're not going to actually finish and money that's already in the bank? Right. What do you do with a building that you now have to sell? Uh, oh, by the way, a church building that you need to sell. Um, that needs work. That needs work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, post, and it's in the middle of the pandemic too. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So there was, so it was, I think there was a part of what was, I did not realize when we embarked on this was how multi-layered it was going to be. Hmm. Right. So there's the pastoral transition of helping people, you know, see the need to consolidate or to unify and to bring them together. And then there's the, you know, casting new vision for that. And then there's the logistics of combining two campuses worth of stuff and building new identity and moving organs and putting a <laughs> building on the market and selling it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so it's, it was kind of, it's been a beast, but really beautiful to see how God has kind of provided all the way through it. So how much of the capital campaign pledges and money that came in, how, you know, how much of that did people say, you know, keep it, use it for the ministry? And how much did you actually just give back? Yeah. So we, um, when we, we made the final decision, um, we had, I don't know, $1.5 million in the bank that people had committed. And so we worked, we worked with um, a team and said, okay, we're going to give people four options because we really felt like we needed to give people some control over what they did with the monies they had given us. And so we said, you can um, leave it in with the church for future capital needs. You can uh, give it to our deacons and they will, and we'll find uh, ministries to give it away to. We, if you want, we will give it back to you. Or if you'd like to designate, designate it to the operating fund. We can do that. And we had uh, close to 90% of the money people said, nope, we believe in where the church is going. Keep it. We had some money, people who wanted it given to um, missions and ministry. And so mm -hmm. um, our deacons got some money they got, you know, they're, they're distributing. And then we had a handful of people who said, we'd like our money back. And we were fine with that. Um, we had a fundraising consultant tell us we shouldn't even offer that, but we were like, mm. no, that feels like the right yeah. thing to do. Yeah. And like the hailstorm, this was, uh, uh, an unprecedented event in the life of the church. So yep. you had to do things that yeah. you wouldn't maybe normally do. Right. And, you know, you didn't have control over it, but neither did the people have control over exactly. what happened. So yep. there's some wisdom there. How are you different today than you were three years ago as yeah. a leader and as a pastor? Oh, as a leader and a pastor. Um, I think there's a weird combination of uh, I'm probably more aware of the ways that 
I get it wrong sometimes. And also more confident in God's grace and ability to lead Mm. than I was three years ago. There were so many times through this process that I was like, God, I do not know what to do next. I do not know how this story ends. You are, you have to help. And, um, and then, you know, God would provide. Um, I remember when we made the decision, I was terrified, like, we're not going to be able to sell that original campus. It's, we're going to be in debt and, you know, this is going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we ended up selling it to a Burmese church that is mm-hmm. growing like crazy. And it's so beautiful. And today I'm like, God, you are so creative. I would have never imagined <laughs> that, you know, that your heart would have that in mind. Seeing the creativity and the faithfulness of God through the process has been really anchoring in my soul, even though it was incredibly difficult to walk through at times and, and took a lot out of our team and probably took a lot out of me um, as a person at times. I was really, I just got off a sabbatical and I'm so grateful I got to take that because leading through the intensity of those three years was a lot. Yeah. And I would imagine for the people that stayed with you and that have made the move and now that are there at the bridge, you have a higher level of credibility because you did lead through that and you led through it with integrity and honesty and sounds like a little bit of care and transparency as well. And people are like, okay, you know, it, and for you, it's like, David, what did David say? I've slain the tiger and I've slain the bear. And <laughs> I can take you, you Philistine, you know? And, uh, you know, God, if God kept you through the pandemic in yep. the situation you were in, this would be like wow. uh, the old evil Knievel used to, you know, be on the motorcycle, used to make those big jumps. It'd yep. be like making the jump and you take off, you go off the ramp and you're halfway through the jump and they move the, the landing ramp on the landing. <laughs> There's no landing Seriously. ramp. There's no way. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> when I jumped, you got to figure like out how to look different. Uh-huh. Yeah. You got to yep. figure out how to land this thing. Yeah. So for sure. yeah. Well, congratulations yeah. to you for surviving it and, mm. and taking care of your people and your staff through it. And you know, when the only one you have to trust is God, it's not the worst place in the world to be. No, it's a, it's actually, but I tell you what, I think sometimes as pastors, we resist it. We do. We're so, we're so yeah. used to like being on the platform and being in control. And, you know, I think it's easy to believe the lie that I should have it all figured out and mm-hmm. to have enough humility to say, uh, I don't know what we're going to do next, but God does. And let's hold still and figure it out together. It's not easy. Um, And yet I think it exposed in me in a deeper way, the lie that like, I have to be God to my people. No, I don't. I get to, I got to let God be God in a whole different way. And he's way better at it than I am. Um. <laughs> He's better at being God than you. <laughs> know, right? Shocking, isn't it? 
Yeah. 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 It seems like we should know that, but to experientially live it is a different yeah. thing, which I and think we th- all had to do. Then you think after the fact, wait a minute, I should be that desperately dependent upon God all the time, right? It should yep. be like special. Cer- That's pretty bad. I'm a fair weather friend. It's only yeah. special yeah. circumstances yeah. that I'm desperately yeah. dependent upon God. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's been exposing. It's been humbling to realize, like, oh yeah, catastrophe brings out a lot of faith in me. <laughs> but if I could keep, so that's one of the things I've been trying to hold is like, okay, God, you've been so faithful in this season. How do I keep walking with that in mind uh, and inviting for my own sense of self what that to live in that space. Suzanne, would you just wrap this up and speak to our pastor friends and maybe what is there, what one thing do you want them to remember going out of this conversation and something you've learned or something you'd encourage them in? I would say one is it's okay to say to your fellow, you know, to your elders, I, I know it can be painful, but to acknowledge, I don't know what to do next. And we got to figure this out together. That's, a, that's an okay thing. Um, and even to recognize there are times when you maybe thought you knew where things were going. And then to have the courage to say, this is not working anymore because of whatever circumstances and to start to interrogate what that means, but it's, it's hard. Um, But I think if we can do that, my experience at least was that God was really, really kind and faithful in that space. And I can say today has done exceedingly and abundantly more than we could have asked or imagined in it. That's cool. And, and unsurprising, but, uh, it's, that's a joyful thought. Uh, Suzanne, thank you for helping me to encourage pastors today. You're welcome. Thanks, Jeff. I want to thank pastor Suzanne for joining me on this episode Did you learn a few things? Like, were you inspired? Were you motivated to be a better leader, to be a more thoughtful leader, to maybe slow down? What I really loved about Suzanne is that as she talked, you could hear her heart, her heart for her people and her heart for God and her heart for the gas pedal. It wasn't like she didn't want to step on the gas and and go. She She has a heart for all these things. And there were competing interests. Her struggle with what to do when they merged the two campuses and how to do it so it honors both groups. And you, you could just sense the passion in her of wanting to not just be a leader, but also to be a shepherd. And she has done that. And I want to go on record giving her much credit for doing an excellent job. None of this was easy. There was no schematic, no blueprint for it. You know, leading, uh, canoeing the mountains, right? Leading leadership in uncharted territory. It's exactly what it was. By the way, if you want to listen to that episode, it would be a really interesting episode to check out. It's episode number 242. 
Leading an Uncharted Territory with Todd Bolsinger, episode 242 of the 200 Churches podcast. Hey, thanks so much for joining me today, and I will catch you next week on the 200 Churches podcast.